Hey guys, welcome to Stefan Levera podcast episode nine. And my guest today is Brian. Thanks, thanks for coming on, Brian. Thanks, Stefan. Uh, you've had a lot of great guests uh, so far, and I'm definitely happy to uh, join and talk a little bit about lighting. Excellent, excellent. So I'll just quickly intro you for the listeners. Guys, Brian Vu, he is the VP of product at Lightning Labs. Uh, he previously worked at Google. He got into Bitcoin uh, in the earlier days, around 2011. He joined Lightning Labs about two years ago. Uh, and just for a bit of background for anyone who's a bit newer, Lightning Labs is one of the three Lightning implementations. Uh, and Brian, you've also got a, a very uh, cool Twitter account, uh, BVU, a three-letter. So definitely a Twitter OG. Yeah, I was I was early on at Twitter, uh, even though I actually don't use it very much. <laughs> very nice. Perfect for when you launch your own ICO, BVU coin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, perfect. Yeah. Okay, excellent. So anyway, guys, I wanted to invite... Brian on and discuss some of the articles that he wrote on the Lightning Labs blog and just sketch out a vision of what Lightning Network could look like in future years. So we're going to try and pitch this discussion at people who know what Bitcoin is but aren't super in the detail on Lightning Network and try and help make that a little bit more real for everyone. Um, so Brian's articles, he one of them that we'll start with is Lightning User Experience, A Day in the Life of Carol. Um, so, Brian, maybe uh, you want to discuss a little bit on that article in terms of onboarding. Yeah. So um, in the article itself, we talk about the autopilot process, and that's essentially the very first thing a user will do when they open their Lightning wallet for the first time. They will use that process to move funds from their on-chain Bitcoin addresses into Lightning channels uh, from where they can uh uh, conduct tra transactions much more quickly uh, and cheaply. Um, uh, the other thing to note about autopilot is it's in a pretty early stage. So autopilot can have a variety of different heuristics that talk about uh, or that that look at a node's uptime, a, a node's um, success rate at routing payments, um, capital uh, availability, et cetera. And uh, currently autopilot doesn't do uh, as much as we expect it to in the in the relatively near term. But it's it's a very you know sort of nascent state of onboarding right now, uh, but that's going to be improved pretty dramatically over the next uh, you know several months. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, yeah, so I guess this is sort of like as you're just starting with Lightning, and you might you might get this app, um, and the idea is obviously that we want the app to kind of do things in the background for the user, so they don't have to manually manage them. Uh, but if that if that does happen, are there any risks around autopilot doing sort of quote unquote bad channel management? Like, is there a risk that maybe it puts you know too much into a channel with the wrong or a dead node? Yeah, there's there is definitely that risk, um, especially with the current uh, version of autopilot. However, um, as we develop the routing network itself, I mean, one of the reasons why um, there is a you know, significant potential for that to happen with the current implementation of autopilot is that we don't actually have routing nodes on the network at all yet. So, uh, or at least we haven't written the routing node software. And so, uh, or we haven't released it, let's say. Um, because of that, a lot of the heuristics that we plan to use for autopilot are not readily available to the apps. Um, but as we build out the routing network, we've got a few engineers working, you know, hard on that um, currently that autopilot experience will get a lot more reliable, um, a lot more, uh, you know, it should actually get quite a bit faster. We've, even since I wrote the post, um, we think we can get the initial onboarding time down to, 
you know, 10 to 20 minutes max um, for initial uh, first channel and first transactions. Um, so I think that uh, there is that potential. And then there is the case where autopilot would have to manage that as well. So in case, for example, one of your gateway routing nodes, I think we'll get into, you know, the discussion of all those distinctions later, but if one of your gateway routing nodes goes down for whatever reason, or they don't have enough capital to route your payment, and that happens consistently, Autopilot will close that channel and open channels with um, other gateway nodes. But as, uh, as, a, as the routing network evolves over time, and we have more information about which gateway nodes are reliable, um, the system itself should become very, very uh, transparent and seamless to the user. Of course, like the whole concept is we don't want the user to even know that there is such a thing as Autopilot. They should just know that they have some funds and their wallet is taking care of onboarding them to the Lightning Network and, uh, you know, they can just go buy whatever they want. Oh, that's quite interesting, actually. So it won't necessarily say, oh, hey, Brian, you have five channels open and you have, you know, X, Y, Z amount of Bitcoin in each one. Would it just show some, is the idea that it would just show you a total? Yes. Yeah. So currently um, our app, which... um, is being written by a couple engineers, uh, Tancred Hayes and uh, Valentin Wallace. Uh, we're about to, to launch, we're in the process of launching an early version of that. Uh, it basically uh, shows just the, the total balance. And our goal is really that that's all the user needs to know. They just need to know how much Bitcoin they have and that they can send it immediately wherever they want to. Yeah, that's really clever. Okay, I like that. Um, and then what are the key differences with the Light Client Neutrino protocol to call out? Yeah, um, so Neutrino is essentially um, the way that we will be able to run Lightning nodes and Bitcoin nodes in general on mobile phones. Um, it's a pretty significant improvement in terms of privacy and resource usage over the existing um, simplified payment verification that, that Satoshi came out with. Um, and that uh, Mike Hearn and Matt Corallo specified in, in BIP37. Um, it's, the differences are a little bit technical, but essentially um, with uh, BIP37, you're giving a full node a list of addresses, and that full node is, is uh, responding with information about transactions related to those addresses. With Neutrino, um, there's essentially a compressed list of um, uh, transactions within each block, and that is that that entire compressed list is sent to the uh, to the mobile app, and the mobile app can decide which blocks it's interested in. So um, I don't know if it's totally clear from that explanation, but uh, in in the Neutrino case, the full node has much much less information about which transactions the mobile node uh, is interested in. Okay, yeah, cool, cool. Now I think I think it's a fascinating. Um... You know, it's fascinating technology, and it's really just really cool to see the way this is all building out over time. And obviously, this, we're you know we're in early days; it's very sort of speculative. Um, but uh, I think there's some real potential to improve the way we use Bitcoin. Um, okay, yeah. so then yeah. the next section that you go into is kind of hypothetically, if Carol were to then go to the mall and try and buy something using her Lightning smartphone app, and so do you have any comments on how maybe the, the regular buying experience while you're out in a brick and mortar store might change or improve? Yeah, I think, uh, I think there's it's definitely going to be some pretty major improvements over um, existing uh, you know, on-chain transactions where you've got to wait for confirmations and, um, and that sort of thing. In, in the uh, Lightning case, essentially you'll go to your store 
the store will generate an invoice for you um, that will have the amount that you're, you're uh, being requested to pay and some details about the products you're buying. You'll scan that with your phone. Uh, you'll see the amount and the, the items that you're purchasing. You'll click confirm and that's it. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, the new term vision is, is uh, that the experience will be something similar to using like my Starbucks app. When I go buy coffee, there's basically a QR code scanning and a confirmation process. Um, eventually, we hope that we'll be able to uh, make that into an NFC um, type thing. So it'll be like an Apple Pay. You'll just kind of tap and confirm. Um, but, uh, you know, it should be easier than, you know, uh, you know putting a chip uh, in the reader or, um, you know, other payment technologies. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Okay. Um, and then do you want to comment a little bit on the potential for routing failures? Now, I guess I'll say there was some recent discussion about this, and I know that there were some kind of safety precautions put in at the start of Lightning Network, like the amount that you can place in a channel and so on. Um, but it's still, the conversation is worth having. Do you have any uh, comments on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that one of the things that... Um, I, maybe folks in the community in general don't don't quite know, and it's it's very early in in terms of where we are with Lightning. Um, but as I mentioned a, a few minutes ago, there's no, we actually have not um, released the routing node software. Um, so uh, the way that the routing nodes, uh, the few routing nodes that there are, is connected are connected is not necessarily uh, in the most um, structured way at this point. It what we what we expect is that routing nodes will be running a set of rules that tell them uh, which other nodes are, are reliable to connect to. And they themselves will also uh, understand which nodes they should be accepting connections from. They will also do, need to do things like managing uh, fee rates. They'll need to do things like managing their capital uh, ratio. So uh, we're writing software that basically uh, handles all, that, all those rules for them. There's a bunch of other things around like metrics and a few other things like that that routing node operators will need. Uh, but that doesn't exist currently. So when people are routing payments uh, in the network today, it's it's you know kind of haphazard, uh, and it will be a lot lot better once we actually have routing node software out there. So I would say that you know we've we've kind of uh, you know made a lot of progress on the you know the underlying protocol implementations. Uh, you know obviously Lightning Labs, uh, C Lightning from Blockstream, and uh, Eclair from Async, but um, we have not yet built the software that, that runs on top of those uh, protocol implementations, and that's the routing node software. And, you know, there's some client software out there. You know, we're, we're kind of early on in our own client software uh, release process, but there are really three, those three parts. And without the routing node software itself, um, you know, the routing network is, is uh, not going to be nearly as reliable and uh, as robust as it will eventually be. Um, so that's one thing I was trying to get, get at with, um, with the following post uh, about routing. But uh, currently, you know, there's, you know, all kinds of potential for routing, for routing failures, especially for larger payments. Um, uh, there's another concept called atomic multipath payments, uh, which we can talk about a little more detail uh, as well. It's maybe a little more on the technical side, but uh, all these things should, um, you know, vastly improve the routing experience. But, you know, we basically haven't even really started trying to, uh, to complete the routing uh, solution at this point. Cool, cool. Okay. Um, I suppose just while we're on that topic of routing and though the, and the, there are the three different implementations, would it be that each of the three teams would have their own routing node software or and, and it's kind of all interoperable or what, how, what's the sort of plan with that? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I would say that um, 
We actually have not talked that much about routing with with the other teams just because there is so much work and there has been so much work to be done on the, the base protocol implementation. Um, I think that uh, I'm not actually sure if the other teams are planning to build their own routing software or, uh, you know, obviously the routing software will be interoperable and it doesn't know whether the end user or the merchant is using C Lightning or Eclair or um, LND. Uh, so, uh, you know, our routing node software, of course, will work with, with any of the implementations. Um, I think that, uh, you know, as we move further along, I would like to have uh, more in-depth conversations with the other implementations about our ideas for, um, you know, how we'll set up our routing rules. But uh, that's, uh, you know, it's still very early days on that. Yeah, cool, cool. No, I like that. Um, very interesting um aspect of how this is all going to develop out okay so i think the next area to to discuss is around merchant benefits so we're starting to see some more more and more discussion around what the benefits of lightning will be even on the merchant side so obviously the the first step would just be it's even cheaper fees right so with lightning sometimes the fee well often the fee is even less than one cent so that's you know really uh a really good result for the merchants and also from his talk at building on bitcoin july 2018 sergey kotliar who is the ceo of bitrefill he made a few comments around how lightning network can help restart or, f- or give a fresh start to many of the pain points and problems that people experience trying to use bitcoin layer one payments do you want to comment a little bit on that on the benefits for merchants yeah yeah and um I watched Sergey's talk and it was, a, it was a great talk. I think there's a lot of good insights in that talk. I think um, one of the things that he touched on um, is is that idea of how Lightning is invoice, invoice-based uh, rather than, I guess, Bitcoin's address-based, where you just uh, kind of send to a, a payment anon- uh, an address anonymously, um, or I guess without any kind of tracking. I think that's a big benefit for the merchants uh, in that uh, they, they know which payment is attached to, uh, you know, which specific transaction um, and so that they can handle things like refunds they can handle things like uh, making sure that you know there's not uh, two payments from the same person etc so I think the invo- invoice based model is um, is a big plus of lightning and a lot of um, bitcoiners don't kind of realize that they think oh you know uh, lightning should be should work like Bitcoin addressing uh, but I actually think that that is a uh, is definitely a, a, a worse experience especially for the merchants than um, what we have with uh, with Lightning. I think that another thing, uh, you know, like you mentioned, the fees are, are going to be lower. Sergey also mentioned, you know, the fees is not, you know, not a major problem for him. Um, and by the way, I, I'm really thankful to Sergey and uh, Justin Camarena, who who work at BitRefill for being very uh, forward thinking and way ahead of the ball. Um, I talked with, you know, Sergey before our, our release and, and they were just uh, ready to go. They had everything integrated uh, way ahead of time. But um, the other thing uh, that I think, you know, obviously, you know, Bitcoiners probably know the fraud argument with, you know, of course, uh, Lightning being irrevocable, just as Bitcoin transactions are. You don't have the situation with chargebacks and having to manage disputes and that kind of thing. Um, And I think another thing that will hopefully uh, improve about the merchant experience is that um, currently, I I think I probably have, you know, eight to 10 different credit cards, all the different uh, credit cards I have to use for groceries versus gas, uh, you know, versus different department stores. Um, and I have to manage all these different point systems. Um, and then the merchants themselves, they have to game the system, the credit card system by offering their own store credit cards. And every time I go to the store, they want to try to get me to sign up for their credit cards. And that's all, all that gaming is basically wasted effort. That's the result of 
the structure of the credit card uh, fee system. So I think that, um, you know, in an ideal world, if, if payments are very straightforward, very cheap, um, you know, merchants can, can lower their prices a little bit and uh, we don't have to do all this kind of uh, gaming stuff uh, in order to uh, maximize our, um, our payment uh, returns, I guess. Fantastic point, Brian. I really like that. I think uh, that's something people have not really appreciated yet that will come in with the impact of having really, really low fees and really reliable fees that don't require these sort of old world um, payment rails, if you will, or, and all the, the associated gaming that happens with that. Great points. Yeah, and exactly. I think it also even provides additional privacy as well. So that's another um, great benefit for the merchants. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, okay, so how about ex- the uh, interaction between Lightning Network and the main chain. So in this example, um, you walk through how Carol might refill her Lightning wallet using an exchange. So could you sort of outline that process a little bit and then just talk about if there's any examples of it? Yeah. um, So uh, we've worked with a few exchanges and there's definitely a lot of interest uh, from exchanges in integrating with Lightning. Um, There's definitely engineering work going on uh, internally at a few um, exchanges. And uh, the essential concept is that you, if the exchange has lightning channels and Carol or the end user has lightning channels, um, there's really no on-chain transaction that needs to happen in order for me to move money from, let's say, my USD or uh, you know, Australian dollar balance into my lightning wallet. Um, that can happen essentially instantly. That, uh, you know, if I have a BTC uh, balance in my exchange, also I can move a transition that BTC uh, balance directly to my Lightning wallet instantly as well. So once I've, you know, spent the money in my Lightning wallet, uh, I will need to go refill it and I can refill that using my, um, you know, my paycheck for my US dollars if I send that to an exchange or if I have some BTC there, I can just uh, refill that wallet immediately. So, um, yeah, I think uh, that that process should be you know, when we get those exchange integrations um, done, that should be a very seamless um, process. We have a few different ideas around some stopgap ideas uh, for how people can refill their channels without using an exchange uh, because of all the, you know, the kind of uh, administrative overhead associated with exchanges. So you will be able to send money directly in and out from uh, Bitcoin addresses to Lightning channels. But um, uh, those are, those are, um, uh, you know, we basically want Lightning channels to be set up in such a way that you spend and then you refill. You spend and then you refill. You're not opening and closing, opening and closing, because that that creates a lot more on-chain transaction uh, traffic. Right. Yeah, that's very clever. It's a more efficient use of Bitcoin's block blockchain block space, rather, on layer one. Okay, clever. Um, and another concept I was interested to ask about is, do you anticipate that employers would set up a lightning channel to pay their employees or would it kind of go through some other mechanism? Um, I guess there, there's really two ways to think about that. And I think it's a really good question because I am not sure how it's going to evolve. I would say that uh, it probably makes a difference how much the employee makes. So if the employees maybe like an hourly paid employee or they're, they're getting paid per day or they make a relatively small amount of money, I can imagine um, an employer using lightning. Uh, if they, you know, if they're making very large amounts of money, then they probably don't want to put all of their earnings into their Lightning wallet. So there might have to be a way for for employers to split that money, 
or the employers might just pay in regular Bitcoin and leave it up to the employee to refill their Lightning channels. Um, the uh, there there could be you know exchanges and those kinds of things that can make all that happen without having to do a single on-chain transaction. Uh, so I think those there are a few different possible models, and I think um, that that is a really interesting question. I actually am not sure how that's going to evolve. Yeah, no, that's yeah. Just it just thought I'd try and help make it more real for people. You know, I, so I guess uh, it's almost like if you're a baller, you can you can take an on-chain payment. Um, and if you're not a baller, well, it's all you can do it all in lightning channels. And I suppose the other thing you can do is maybe tell your employer to split your payments to say, okay, pay me, you know, twenty percent or thirty percent of my wage on in, you know, in a lightning channel, and pay me the rest, you know, on chain elsewhere, that kind of thing. So it's an interesting. Yeah. Um, way it could evolve. Yeah, a lot of that has to do with you know how the security for phones evolves, and there's a bunch of stuff with you know trusted ex- execution environments, hardware wallets, etc. So uh, it also depends on how much money people are willing to um, to hold on their phones. So depending on you know how some of that key management technology evolves, uh, people might be willing to hold very large amounts on their phone. Yeah, good points. Good points. Okay, and then sort of related. Um, I guess just more broadly about this post, do you have any thoughts on the future balance of on-chain layer one payments versus off-chain uh, sort of payments? Is there any kind of equilibrium that will met that will be met there? Um, I think there will be an equilibrium at there. Um, our CEO, Elizabeth Stark, talks about it being kind of like checking account versus savings account. So your savings you would keep on chain and your uh, day-to-day expenses, the amount that you need for your day-to-day expenses would be off chain. Um, and so uh, I think the, where that equal, equilibrium uh, ends up going is uh, yet to be determined. I, like it's uh, actually partially uh, related to those security parameters we just talked about. Um, but uh, you know, my ideal goal would be you could handle basically all of your day-to-day uh, transaction stuff with Lightning, and then you would only need to use on-chain payments for funds that you were not going to touch for, let's say, three months or six months or a year even, uh, or longer. Um, but anything less than like a three-month holding period, you would just uh, hold within Lightning. That would be my ideal world. Mm, makes sense. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and then later on in this post, you also touch on AMP. Did you want to um, tell the guys about what AMP is and how it might work? Yeah, yeah. Uh, This is also related to our routing um, failure discussion a minute ago. I think that AMP, which stands for Atomic Multipath Payments, uh, was proposed to the mailing list by one of our engineers, Connor Fromnick, um, a few months back. And essentially what it allows you to do is it allows you to uh, split a very large payment into uh, lots of small payments. So it's a little bit like uh, on the internet, you, you want to send a large file to somebody, you split it up into lots of, sp- lots of small packets, you route them all individually, uh, and the receiver puts, puts it all together at the end. Um, with AMP, routing becomes uh, more efficient and uh, you have fewer you know, bottlenecks, et cetera. So um, AMP is definitely a big part of the routing story. And I think um, you know, we'll also improve the reliability uh, and speed of the network. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Hey, okay, cool. Let's now go over to the the second post, uh, which is exploring Lightning Network routing. And so, um, essentially, in this post, you cover a lot of different um, kind of more technical topics. Um, so, let's set the context. Uh, what are the key important goals with routing? Yeah, I think um, 
for routing, what I was trying to get across in the post is what we really want is for the user to not have to worry about routing at all. All they know is that they see a balance in their wallet. Uh, they see a product they want to buy. They press buy. It happens. Um, in the background, there's a lot of different things that happen, and there's a lot of different goals that we have. Um, one of which is we want to make it easy for anybody to join the routing network. So if you have a little bit of Bitcoin, you've got a um, you know spare computer around, you've got a little bit of you know uh, you've got good bandwidth um, and can manage the uptime for that node, you should be able to start routing payments for other users. So we want to keep it um, easy to enter and exit the network. Um, the other thing is that uh, over time. Uh, you know, all these routing nodes are essentially adhering to the rules that um, that we talked about earlier, which are around the success uh, ratio and, uh, you know, uh, node uptime, et cetera, uh, capital availability. So uh, over time, the nodes that um, are more successful at routing, they will become better and better connected and will be able to route more and more payments. They'll gain higher volumes, they'll earn more fees. Uh, and so they'll move up kind of within the network. Um, and so I guess the, the key things are that um, we want the network to be decentralized. We want the network to be hi highly reliable. Uh, and we want it to be basically uh, very simple for, for the end user. Um, I should also mention that, you know, people, you know, in the post, I tried to address this as well. But, you know, over there's been this whole concept of like, oh, there's going to be this one giant lightning routing hub. And what I tried to explain in the post was that, uh, you know, that's a very capital inefficient uh, model if there if there were only just you know one or a few very very large hubs, um, and adding the multiple hops allows um, payments to be balanced out at, at multiple levels, uh, improving improving the capital efficiency, lowering fees, um, and making the network more robust, more private in the process. So um, yeah, I think uh, you know primarily uh, you know speed. Oh, of course, low fees is another goal for routing. Um, but uh, you know the fees we expect to be very very low because there are a relatively small number of uh, machines that will need to be um, involved with each transaction, and each of those machines can route you know, millions of payments with very modest hardware and power and, and bandwidth requirements. So um, uh, as you mentioned, the fees should be should be very low. So we're not even really uh, too worried about optimizing fees yet. Uh, over time, I think the routing node operators will will naturally do that. Yeah, great points. Okay, so um, another point that you make is how, yeah, okay, so you've got channel balances in Lightning, and I like how you've outlined that there are sort of natural uh, inbound flows and outbound flows for the different types of users. So the end user, the consumer, say, uh, the merchant and exchanges. Could you maybe outline some of the typical cases for each scenario? Yeah, I think um, so. At the very, you know, the most basic level, I have my own physical wallet full of, you know, U.S. dollars, um, and I can go to the store and spend a bunch of those dollars. And eventually, I will have to um, go to the ATM and refill my wallet. Uh, the same thing kind of happens with Lightning. So you'll create your channels, you'll spend your money. Uh, you know, you won't be, uh, you know, handing over physical cash, but you'll be uh, scanning QR codes or tapping your phone. Uh, and over time, you'll need to then refill your your balance, whether that's from an exchange for you know uh, U.S. dollars or or whatever fiat you use, um, and uh, or you know you've got some BTC and cold storage that you want to refill your wallet with. So at the end user level, uh, you're kind of having to to balance uh, there. Merchants also have to balance their books. So uh, merchants, you know, obviously, it's the reverse process where 
they actually need to create channels, um, send the money out of those channels so that they can accept additional payments. Um, and then uh, their customers will you know, sl slowly fill up their channels, fill up their channels, fill up the channels. And then the merchant will have to send a transaction out to an exchange or to a supplier or to pay off employees um, to give themselves additional capacity. So essentially, uh, merchants and users, uh, at the end of the day, they sort of have to balance their books, just like they do in the, in the you know, uh, existing financial system. Everybody's got to sort of balance their books, uh, unless you can print money, uh, which there are a few people who can do that. <laughs> but um, uh, every, and, you know, exchanges are the same way. So exchanges, they have to, you know, they take, uh, you know, they'll send money out to the lightning channels of users and they'll be receiving uh, funds from merchants. And all those processes um, should, you know, overall balance themselves out. Um, and uh, there, you know, there's a bunch of uh, a bunch more detail about uh, different ways that that balancing process happens. But um, you know, generally, you know, the financial system is is uh, has to be balanced overall. Okay, cool, cool. Um, and then, so next down in the article, you talk about this concept of gateway routing nodes. And it, it, the idea is that these are those that serve the end users. Could you outline uh, what the what these are? And then we'll, we'll go into a further discussion on that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good point. Um, and yeah, that's, that's part of one of those things that is not that widely known in the community, partly because uh, we have a bunch more blog posts that I've, uh, <laughs> I've been meaning to write. But um, Gateway routing nodes are essentially kind of the front line of routing nodes that um, end user applications will connect to. So um, a gateway routing node is maybe a relatively new routing node. Um, they don't have that much connectivity yet. And so they're accepting inbound channel requests from uh, you know, mobile phone users or PC users. And they're routing payments um, through the network for those um, uh, those end users. As a routing node, uh, sort of over time, they gain a history of having high uptime, having high routing success, having enough capital in hand. They may uh, decide to add more capital and potentially become uh, a bridge node, which is kind of like a routing node for routing nodes. Um, but the gateway routing node is kind of that, that first uh, step that Autopilot is connecting to, to get the user's funds into the network uh, initially. Okay, got it. Okay, um, and then is the idea that these gateway routing nodes would be run as a business or maybe they would just rather be run by a business with some kind of incentive to run a gateway routing node? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think there will likely be both. Um, I think that a gateway routing node is really designed to be something that, uh, you know, just enthusiasts will run. So for example, I have my uh, Bitcoin full node um, and the, you know, kind of the overhead in terms of network costs and storage and et cetera should be very similar between running like a Bitcoin full node and a, a gateway routing node. Of course, you have to have a little bit of Bitcoin to, to put it in the network, but it shouldn't be, you know, heavily capital intensive. Uh, and so at the base level, those will be kind of most likely just individuals. Um, as the uh, as those individuals gain, uh, as I said, that sort of that history of um, of you know performing well as a routing node, they can potentially um, start to increase their volumes, increase their connectivity, uh, increase their capital. Um, and I imagine you know some of those folks might end up running sort of like small businesses uh, and earning fees with those. Uh, 
But the network itself will be, you know, very highly competitive just because it is relatively easy to, the barriers to entry are going to be very low. So um, uh, even, you know, a very well-connected node has other nodes that are going to be, uh, you know, well-connected around it. And um, if they're charging too much in fees, uh, they they won't make much. So I don't expect it's going to be a very big moneymaker, um, not enough to, you know, build some sort of giant company. But uh, I think, you know, potentially somebody who's very good at running routing nodes might be able to... Uh, uh, make a little bit of money on it. Um, uh, and so I do think that, uh, as you mentioned, the, um, you know, people like merchants or, um, uh, exchanges, et cetera, will most likely run their own, uh, well, not most likely they may, <laughs> they may decide to run their own nodes as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think, I think there will be a combination of, you know, people who just, they want to make sure that they have reliable nodes to connect to. Um, but, uh, uh, the majority of at least the gateway level will probably be just individuals just because I don't expect them to be very profitable. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, I think as you said, it might be, let's say I'm a merchant and I want to make it easy for customers to pay me. So I'll run a routing node kind of uh, scenario. Okay. Um, and then, so the next section you talk about buffer capital and you talk about channel exhaustion. So could you maybe outline what channel exhaustion is and then outline how routing nodes that don't have enough capital would get routed around? Yeah. Um, so channel exhaustion is what happens when uh, you have, if you're, let's say, a gateway routing node and you've got, let's say, 500 uh, mobile phone users connected to your routing node, um, and they have all sent more money out than you have uh, dedicated to the rest, to connect to the rest of the network. Um, Basically, it means that you have not put in enough money into your node to handle all of the users that you've accepted. Um, and what um, uh, what should happen in that case is, in the short term, if if my app realizes that one of my routing nodes um, is giving me failures for whatever reason, but let's say they run out, they've, they've exhausted their capital, it will attempt to route through another gateway routing node. So by default, Autopilot connects to five gateway routing nodes. So if one of the five is down, it'll try another one of the five. Um, if that routing node uh, uh, does not uh, increase its capital or it stays offline for other reasons, um, my app will disconnect it. So my Autopilot will know this uh, routing node has been unreliable for you know, the past few hours. Uh, it will then go through the process of reallocating um, the funds to other gateway routing nodes. So it'll get routed around that way. And then further, the other routing nodes that are connected to, um, to that routing node will detect that that routing node is uh, you know, generating a lot of failures. And so the other routing nodes will disconnect from that routing node as well. So eventually that routing node, if, they're not, if they don't have enough capital in the system and or they don't have connectivity, their power is down for whatever reason, they will eventually get uh, taken out of the network. So... Um, uh, so those are a few of the things that will happen uh, in terms of that those uh, you know poorly behaving routing nodes getting routed around. Got it, got it. And uh, I guess uh, to if I understand correctly, then it's if they run out of capital, then that node operator would just simply have to find a way to get replenished. Yes. So there's two things that node operator can. That's a good question. Yeah. So the node operator can either um, 
add capital so they can open new channels or uh, add capacity through this process of splicing. So they can, you know, they can take their on-chain VTC and move it into the Lightning Network uh, and uh, contribute that to to their capital. Or um, they can um, they can refill those channels. So they can uh, send money in from an exchange to refill those channels. Or they can send that money in from, you know, they might have another pool of capital somewhere else, or they can ask somebody for, for capital. Uh, basically, somebody has to send capital into that channel. Okay, cool, cool. Um, okay, and then, so then further on down, you mentioned this concept of bridge nodes. And I think it, it, there's a relation there between the bridge nodes and the routing nodes. But can you outline what a bridge node is and maybe what is the key distinction between that and other routing nodes? Yeah, so really in, in the post, there's really only two kinds of routing nodes. Um, there might be more eventually, but uh, currently uh, I foresee there just being gateway routing nodes, which are those routing nodes that accept uh, connections from anonymous uh, users. So basically mobile phone users, PC users, basically end users. Those gateway routing nodes are also accepting what we call non-advertised channels, uh, which means that those channels that are connected to the mobile phones are not available for routing. So this, this is one of the other things that is very different, I think, in the current network than uh, than, than how the network uh, will work in the future, which is that uh, most of the channels will not be visible uh, in the routing, uh, routing graph. But um, to get back to your question, the bridge nodes are those nodes that don't, uh, or that are uh, connected, that are connecting different routing nodes to each other, and that are not connecting um, mobile phones directly or, uh, you know, basically end users directly. So uh, they're more like the interior routing nodes that help facilitate the hops between routing nodes. Um, and so over time, if you're a gateway routing node, if you perform well as a gateway routing node, uh, other nodes will attempt to connect to you and more of your um, more of your routing will consist of payments between routing nodes uh, or hops between routing nodes rather than those uh, sort of first hops from end users or or merchants, if that makes sense. Yeah, got it, got it. No, I like that. It's a good explanation. Okay, cool. Um, and then I think the other question I had was out of what we've explained so far today in terms of the routing and the end user, cons- uh, you know, consumer experience. Are there any key differences in the vision of Lightning Labs versus the others? So Blockstreams, uh, C Lightning, and Async. Um. That's a good question. And actually, I think that there, there are slight differences, I would say. Um, a lot of differences are very technical in terms of you know, the programming languages used. Um, async, I think they've moved a little bit further ahead with regard to uh, you know, the mobile phone apps and um, the merchant um, side of things. Uh, Blockstream, I think they've focused a lot on uh, you know, tight integration with Bitcoin Core. Um, and those, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's built in C. Um, you know, we haven't really, because at least at least in my, uh, the things that I'm exposed to are, are very sort of low-level protocol um, uh, details with those guys. Um, you know, major, uh, I would guess, business differences other than that in terms of like long-term vision haven't really emerged. So I guess I couldn't really explain uh, their long-term vision and they probably couldn't explain ours either. So, sure, uh, sure. you know, we've been very... We've been very focused on the protocol implementations itself, which I think is the hard part. And I think we're, we're, we're pretty much through with that uh, that initial phase. Uh, of course, we'll still be iterating on it. But, um, you know, we've worked really closely with them. It's been a great collaboration. And, um, you know, I definitely am very interested to see what their their visions are. are. Um, you know, we're kind of interested to see what our own vision is. Uh, 
we have we have uh, some pretty good ideas, but uh, I actually don't know how ours compares to theirs. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Actually, out of interest, what's what's the sort of process for collaboration? Do you guys sort of meet up once a year, or just do kind of regular calls, or how does that work? Yeah. So we have a regular call uh, every two weeks. Um, it's hosted by Rusty Russell of Blockstream, uh, but you know, uh, Lalu Osintoken, uh, who our, our CTO is, is a major player in there, and Fabrice um, from Async is, is uh, you know represents um, Async and Eclair. Um, and so we have the, the biweekly call. We have, of course, the mailing list. Uh, you know, anybody's welcome to, uh, you know, submit any uh, ideas to the mailing list. Um, and, you know, we've met with those folks, you know, informally uh, every now and then. Um, and uh, we do try to have uh, in-person meetings as well. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's a very collaborative process. And, and uh, we, um, you know, we definitely try to, uh, to get together when we can. Okay, cool. All right, and a few more, I guess, general questions. Um, maybe you just want to tell the guys a little bit about what watchtowers are and what the plan for development with those is. Yeah, yeah, that's a, this is that's a good question. It's a it's a bit of a uh, technical question, but definitely for those folks who have been paying attention to Lightning and, and our development, um, it's an important one. Uh, in Lightning, there is uh, there is a potential for uh, nodes to behave badly uh, and to attempt to steal money from um, the end users or merchants who are connected to them. Um, the way that Lightning works is there's uh, what we call um, a breach remedy transaction or um, uh, a revocation transaction that can be broadcast in the case that your um, counterparty is trying to cheat you, essentially. The watch. The, the problem with that, of course, is you know you may not be online all the time. Uh, so the default is uh, seven days, I believe, uh, at least in LND. Uh, so if you if you happen to be offline for seven days um, in a row, you might not notice that your counterparty is trying to cheat you. Uh, so in that case, what we call a watchtower will broadcast the um, revocation or remedy transaction for you, and um, uh, and your money will be recovered. And the channel will be closed. Um, so that's that's essentially what the watchtowers are for. Uh, you know, if we have a world, I think that you know, in my ideal world, uh, that should happen relatively infrequently. You know, people are online pretty consistently these days, and um, uh, you know, I think that you know, the game theory around trying to uh, steal money, uh, the game theory around at least like a routing node trying to steal a bunch of money for from those who are connected to it, I think are is pretty. Um, Pretty strongly against an attempt of this of this nature, but uh, we'll definitely see how it goes. And and uh, watchtowers may be more or less important depending on uh, you know how often people come online and offline, and how often um, uh, these sort of breach attempts happen. I think there's, I mean, I'm only aware of a few that have happened so far since we released our mainnet beta uh, in March. But um, that's essentially watchtowers are there to protect us from that from that uh, circumstance. Yeah, and so is the concept then that an individual might run their own watchtower back at home or maybe uh, these routing nodes might implement a watchtower service or how, how would that, do you have any ideas on how that would work? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I think you, I feel like you've been following our, our GitHub repo. Uh, so Connor from Nick um, is currently implementing that private re that private watchtower functionality. So that's going to be kind of the initial iteration of watchtowers. Um, 
where let's say merchant or routing nodes can run their own uh, watchtower on a different machine um, uh, or an end user can can run their own watchtower um, over time we want to you know we're potentially going to have um, a system where there will be a discovery of watchtowers so you can pick another person to run a watchtower for you or there could be services that run watchtowers um, but the first iteration is exactly what you talked about which is kind of um, uh, businesses or individuals running their own watchtowers Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, no, I was just basically speculating. Thought I thought it uh, it would be good to understand how no, that works. Uh, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and then, the same thing there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. And then the next question I had was around. Now maybe this is a bit more technical. Uh. But could you explain to the guys what splicing is? Uh. Yeah. So splicing. Uh, I actually uh, mentioned it. So that's a good good conversation uh, point because I I think I mentioned it without really explaining what it is, but. It's the process of essentially resizing uh, a lightning channel. So let's say I join the network with $500 and Autopilot opens five $100 channels for me. Um, I later decide that I want to add another $500. Uh, so I'll have a total of $1,000 of capacity in the network. Um, I can splice into those existing channels. So I can make five $200 channels or I can... Um, uh, add you know five more one hundred dollar channels, so then I would have ten one hundred dollar channels. Um, the one thing to know is that this is splicing is something that should really be handled behind the scenes, and mostly I think um, will be cared about by routing node operators. I don't think that um, the end users should really have to worry about splicing. Autopilot should take care of this whenever it's necessary for them. So if they have a particularly small channel, then uh, splicing would be probably uh, would make more sense if they already have very large channels, like let's say hundred dollar channels, then um, it's probably better to uh, increase the channel diversity and um, connect to um, other, other gateway routing nodes. So there, there's going to be kind of a, um, a decision that gets made about, you know, whether to splice or whether to open new channels. Um, and, but I think that should all be automated. Got it. Got it. Okay. And I guess just technically, what's happening under the hood when you splice? Is it an on-chain transaction to do that or how does that work? Yeah. So um, that's actually, that's a good question. And I'm actually not the most uh, knowledgeable about that, but it is an on-chain transaction. So uh, it is an on-chain trans- transaction to convert um, uh, one funding transaction to a different funding transaction. Um, one thing to, to note about that is you can splice many channels at a time. So in the example I just gave, let's say you wanted to splice up uh, five different channels and add, um, add to them. That's only a single transaction to splice them all at once. So you can, you can splice many channels at the same time. Uh, or let's say I want to reduce my capacity. Let's say uh, you know, I, need, I need some funds. I've got, got $1,000 in the network and I need to take $500 out. Um, and it needs to be on-chain for, for I need to pay somebody on-chain. That can be a single splice transaction as well. So, um, so those are the uh, yeah. But it, it, those are on-chain on-chain transactions. Okay, cool, cool. No, that thank you. That that makes sense. Um, what about backups? So let's say um, Carol, uh, you know, she set up her Lightning wallet, you know, on her smartphone app, um, but then she loses the you know she her phone breaks or she loses the phone. Do we have any ideas on how backups could work for them? Yeah, yeah, great questions. Uh, so uh, one of the things that uh, we've been working on, our CTO, uh, Lalu, that I mentioned earlier, um, 
is a, uh, a new seed format. It's called AEZ, but it allows us to uh, essentially have a similar backup concept to how um, uh, you know regular Bitcoin wallets are, are backed up. So um, if there's, you know, I think there's 24 words by default and there's different derivations uh, for the different types of transactions within Lightning. Um, so at the first level, you will want to um, uh, have uh, that seed that allows you to basically um, uh, recover in the case of, um, you know, you lose your phone or something. Uh, there's also a concept of um, uh, backups for each channel. So each time you open a new channel, you'll have to um, uh, sort of refresh your backup. And that that is something that potentially watchtowers um, could also do. Um, so there are a couple different levels of, of backup that allow you to, uh, and if you have that, that per channel backup, if you, uh, uh, if you, if you lose your phone, you can close all of your channels. If you only have the original seed, you then have to ask your counterparties to close the channels for you. Um, so there's, there's a few different layers of backup. Um, and Connor is definitely a much more expert on that than I am, but, um, uh, you know, the, the general concept should be, it should, should be very similar to uh, backing up your regular Bitcoin wallet. Okay, no, great, great. Um, the next question I had was just around, you know, Lightning Network uh, reference rate. So this concept of, you know, time value of BTC, uh, interest rates in Lightning Network. Do you have any comments on that, Brian? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I did listen to your uh, your conversation with Nick, and you know, obviously, he knows a lot more about finance and, and interest rates than I do. But uh, for me, you know, the concept that I've always had in mind in terms of the fee rates for Lightning is that those fees for routing uh, payments should get pushed down to uh, basically the break even point for the nodes to uh, you know operate their hardware, operate their software, uh, as well as the risk to their capital uh, in case of um, like sort of a Security breach. So um, the so I expect that those those fee rates should uh, get pushed down um, quite a lot. And I don't imagine that, at least in my mind, I've never imagined that there would be a premium above those two um, uh, you know those two costs for the routing node operators. I think that you know ideally over time, also you know the security of the nodes will get better, and uh, you know there will be less of a less of a need to um, worry about uh, sort of uh, like. I guess um, calculating for that that risk of of um, theft, but um, I'm not you know the the reference rate concept did not entirely um, you know resonate with me just because I just don't imagine that there would be a kind of a persistent interest rate type premium. Um, but I also have to admit that uh, I don't I may not completely understand the concept. So uh, the, oh the other thing that I I thought of when I was listening to the episode was that. Um, different routing nodes based on their varying level of time that they've been routing and their different um, history, et cetera, will have um, different fee rates and different volumes. And so, um, you know, there also wouldn't necessarily be sort of like a globally uh, known uh, rate, which I think you guys talked about a little bit as well. Um, so I think, I feel like there are some, some reasons why I don't think um, something like the reference rate will, will necessarily emerge, but uh, you know, it's, it's certainly a very, very interesting concept. And if it does happen, um, I definitely, you know, love to, to do a little more thinking about it. Excellent. Yeah, no, thank you. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think I did ask that, I did actually ask that question of, uh, what if we aren't able to come up with a standardized 
rate or everyone had, just has different rates and we can't really, you know, standardize on something. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a nascent space. We, we might um, see further developments come. Um, I think the other question I wanted to ask you was, um, and I guess, obviously, a lot of us Bitcoiners uh, who, who, who believe in this think it's going to go really, really big. And if you think Bitcoin, the pr- you know, the price is going to go huge, you kind of naturally don't want to spend a lot of it yet. And in, in a sense, you're using it more like a store of value, at least in these earlier stages. Um, did you have any um, comments around Lightning Network contributing on that? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think the store of value use cases is, is uh, I agree with most of your previous guests. Um uh, you know, very illustrious, uh, economically uh, literate folks. I think that um, it is, you know, Bitcoin has to become a store of value first before it does become a medium exchange. But I think that um, something like Lightning can also accelerate that process of the store of value um, becoming um, uh, sort of uh, stable. So I think that... Um, a couple of things that I think Lightning uh, can improve upon in terms of Bitcoin is uh, from a decentralization standpoint, I think if we lived in a world where there wasn't something like Lightning and you had to use um, centralized services or you had to transition your funds from fiat for your day-to-day business and then you were only able to use um, uh, and you only use Bitcoin basically for hodling, I think that um, the uh, there would be, um, I guess, points of failure in terms of whichever, you know, five or six exchanges are available in your country. I also think that um, there's a loss of privacy with that. And with that loss of privacy, there would also be potentially loss of fungibility. So I think that, uh, and uh, also there's just, you know, a lot of inconvenience in terms of having to, uh, you know, do kinds all kinds of KYC AML. Like I've had to take pictures of myself, you know, holding up different signs and it's very hard to get approved um, for, for various um, exchanges. So I think that just you know, from a pure store value standpoint, um, the the fungibility and security um, uh, aspects of Lightning can be uh, very very helpful. It's also it's just making Bitcoin much more liquid and um, making it so that you can uh, you know spend your Bitcoin everywhere. Uh, Lalu always talks about the the, the Matrix meme, uh, which is when you know Bitcoin's a million dollars, you won't have to sell it. Um, I think, uh, you know, that's very much, you know, my hope as well. So, uh, you know, I think lightning is a big part of that. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. So I think I, if I had to summarize, it's basically that lightning will still help reduce the single points of failure kind of concept. It will also improve the fungibility uh, and it, it does add some level of privacy to the end user as well. So um, all, all great points. And I think, um, yeah, th- it's uh, a really... Honestly, just such a fascinating space to follow. So um, thanks a lot for coming on today, Brian. Um, it's been a fantastic and really uh, interesting conversation with you. Um, did you have any final comments you wanted to make, Brian? Um, let's see. Um, yeah, thanks, Stefan. It's been a great conversation and, you know, um, definitely very impressed with uh, your level of research and, and knowledge of Lightning. I think uh, we, we have not done as good of a job as I would like uh, in terms of, you know, blog posting and, and putting some of this documentation out there. So uh, it's, it's nice to be able to um, uh, get some of this information out in a, in a relatively low impact way uh, on your podcast. Um, let's see. I think, uh, I guess, I mean, I would just say that, uh, you know, 
if people are looking at the Lightning Network now and expecting that that's how it's going to be, uh, you know, let's say three to six months from now, I would say that uh, Lightning is going to change a huge amount when we introduce this concept of you know routing nodes and um, when we have uh, you know non-advertised channels. Um, so I think Lightning is going to get a lot better, a lot more reliable, uh, a lot simpler. Uh, oh, as I said, you know the the apps that uh, Tanks and Val are working on. So we kind of have to get those three things all, all in there. We've done, we've done the hardest part, which is the protocol implementation. But when we get the, the routing rules stuff out there and the client apps out there, I think uh, Lightning will be, you know, uh, you know, kind of fully operational at that point. So I just, I feel like some people think that Lightning is fully operational now. And um, I think that uh, we have a ways to go, but uh, we're making really, really good progress. And, um, you know, last year at this time, uh, you know, SegWit wasn't even activated yet, or maybe it was just activating. I can't remember the exact dates. And we didn't even know if Lightning was going to even be technically possible until, uh, you know, this year. So um, we're really happy with uh, where things are at. And, you know, I think the community, which is, it was faster. You know, we, we, we get a lot of, uh, you know, complaints about how long Lightning is taking, but uh, this kind of stuff takes a while. And uh, security and, and privacy, uh, decentralization are super, super, super important to us. And, you know, we're all longtime Bitcoiners. Uh, like yourself, and, and we have a lot of the same kinds of um, ideas as as uh, you do and your guests. So we want to uh, you know do things right. Excellent. No, thanks very much, guys. Um, uh, so guys, you can find Brian on Twitter. His handle is at bvu, uh, and also obviously, guys, go and check out the Lightning Labs website. You can see their GitHub, and obviously, I'll put the uh, links in the description in the show page for um, the routing blog post and the Lightning UX post. Is there anywhere else that you would like to direct people to, Brian? Uh, no, I guess uh, those are probably the best places to reach me, though. Um, as I said, I don't use Twitter that often, but um, I think my email address is on the on the website as well. Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Brian, and uh, um, chat soon. Great. Thanks, Stefan. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks for that, Brian. Um, And so, guys, um, I will put the notes for this episode on my blog, stefanlevera.com. Look up SLP9. Um, Just a quick reminder, please subscribe to the podcast so you get all the new episodes as they come out. Share it with your friends. Share it on social media. Um, Any feedback, come come back and find me on Twitter, at Stefan Levera. Uh, Thanks, and that's all from us.